0: Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. We continue our position-by-position breakdown ahead of the new league year. Right now, we'll focus on the defensive line. It's a young group that may get younger, though there are some intriguing names that are currently and may soon become available on the free agent market. But first, it won't happen again. What was GM Steve Keim referring to? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 396, and it starts now.
1: Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side defense, caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown!
0: Here's Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki.
1: For starters,
0: MJ, do you have a good weekend?
1: Uh, It wasn't productive. I mean, I did try to get some things done around the house, but I mean, I was watching college basketball. I watched Michigan and Ohio State and kind of like, okay, how do you compare this to the football aspect? And, you know, obviously it's a Big Ten matchup and they don't like each other. So I watched that. I did watch some hockey. Um, I wanted to see Lake Tahoe. Unfortunately, the sun was out too long and they had to move the game. It was like slush out there.
0: It's still in the rearview mirror, but uh, it's still close enough to where it's still fresh, talking about the National Football League. And really, since our last show, we have now had a chance to hear from General Manager Steve Kime. He appeared on Doug and Wolf on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. A number of topics discussed over what was a 20-plus-minute interview. But the one big takeaway, at least that I had, aside from all of the difficult decisions that have been or will be made with respect to a much lower salary cap, something owner Michael Bidwell brought up as well, penalties. The fact that this team in 2020 led the league in penalties, and according to Kim MJ, he said this, quote, is not going to happen again, end quote you talk about a point of emphasis in the offseason and something that's going to be drilled into these players, it's going to be eliminate. I think a lot of it, eliminate those pre-snap penalties, pre-snap and post-snap penalties, which we discussed here. Those were certainly huge as far as stopping drives or stalling drives.
1: If I recall, the Cardinals got beat 58, nothing against the Seahawks. And Kime said that would never happen again. And during that off season, he went out and made a trade for Chandler Jones. Now, you can't make a trade to get rid of these penalties, but, um, you know, to me, it starts with the head coach. I mean, there's got to be some discipline. I know he's a player's coach, and he doesn't take a long time. When it comes to meetings, pretty uh, on point, and I think players respect that because when you come in like that, you can't change midstream. Now, you can have other guys in the staff. Usually, you want to have one or two yellers on the staff uh, to let everyone know, but, you know, you did all the work here, so 131 total penalties, 113 accepted. You mentioned eighteens finished with 100 accepted penalties. Cardinals average seven point one penalties a game. Um, there were a couple of weeks where it got better, uh, but when you look at the totality and uh, the pre-snap penalties, forty-five pre-snap penalties, second in the uh, most in the league, as you pointed out from the Eagles, and then you look at the false start penalties um, on the offensive line and across the board. You know, we look at DJ Humphrey six, Dan Arnold five, most of any tight end, Mason Cole, and back-to-back weeks had four, Justin Pugh four, or so. Um, you know, I, I understand if you're going to hold the guys, so you don't want Murray to get hit, but pre-snap and post-snap penalties are mental errors. Um, and sometimes the Cardinals are running different personnel in. So you may have a delay game. Th- that stuff happens when you're, when you're bringing in 10, 11 personnel. Um, and that's where Cam Turner gets the personnel going guy with the green hat. So um, it has to change. You cannot shoot yourselves in the foot. And we know, Uh, When it came to some of these penalties, they put them behind the sticks and all of a sudden, you know, you look at uh, second and three and a holding penalty. Now it's second and 13 and it's not a a doable or serviceable rundown. It's a passing down now and you're tipping off what you're going to do to your defense. So um, somebody's got to make somebody's got to have accountability there. And it starts with the coaching staff.
0: And as far as accountability, I would be perfectly fine if part of that accountability meant guys getting pulled off the field. If it became an issue, a la Mason Cole, as far as the false starts and back-to-back weeks, look, you're going to take a seat on the bench. You're going to watch from the sidelines until we get this fixed, because even one penalty sometimes, depending on when it happens during the course of a drive, during the course of a game, can be huge And I get not all penalties are created equal, but that's how you hold players accountable. Don't just keep running the same guys out there if they're affecting the game negatively. Sit them. That's why you have backups. That's why you have depth. Bring someone who is going to play smart, and that's what this team really needs to focus on this offseason. Talent is one thing, but be a smarter team in all phases of the game and during the week because, as they say, How you practice sometimes is how you play as well. And
1: Craig, I mean, when you start looking at the list that you detailed, I mean, Mason Cole was the most penalized center with five. Justin Pugh was the most penalized guard with nine. Dan Arnold finished tied with the most penalized at tight end seven. Kyler Murray finished second at the quarterback position, being penalized all intentional groundies. I would have thought he had a delay in there. DeAndre Hopkins finished tied with the most receivers at five. And then Patrick Peterson, most penalized corner. I mean, when we start talking most penalized, I mean, I'm looking at four or five names already,
0: and that's – you're talking about 32 teams. And those are big names yeah. as well and important positions too. And I know Q especially would bring up his own penalties, Humphreys as well, and they understand it. and they It can't happen, and especially when there's no fans in the stands. That's what was so nerve-wracking was these pre-snap, false-start penalties – with not a single fan in attendance or very limited fans. Like, what are you reacting to? Guys were anxious a little bit, and I think that needs to calm down. And if they do, then you might see a better product, not only on the field, but more importantly, a better result on game day.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think when we talked about this during the season, the three top teams uh, that when it came to penalties was the Patriots. Brian Flores, the Dolphins, and I don't remember the third one, but they were the least penalized teams in the league. And, again, um, when this stuff happens in the first quarter, you can overcome it. When it starts happening in the third and fourth quarter, um, you know, that's when when the game's on the line. That's when you need those possessions. So, And, you know, we learned a a new stat during the season, and Kingsbury tipped us off to it. 34 stall drives, according to your research, to – Defined find is no points scored on a drive and no first downs earned
0: after the penalty occurred. Again, it stalls drives. And if you're not on the field, then obviously you can't score points and you can't score points. You're not going to win ball games. So it all factors in. And it's not to say that playoff teams don't get penalized as well, but you have to be better and more talented to overcome those penalties. And the Cardinals in 2020 were not with regard to talent on the team. A couple of other things that Kime was very definitive on. One, Chandler Jones will not be cut as far as perhaps a salary cap casualty. And Kyler Murray won't be playing baseball, at least not while he's under contract with the Cardinals. Not a surprise on either one. And I'm a little, I don't know what the word is, but I'm, I guess, surprised that this baseball topic keeps getting brought up. Now, he's getting asked about it, so he's answering the question. He's being polite. He's answering the question, talking about Kyler Murray. But I would think now two years into the league, going into year three, we should never again be bringing up baseball and Kyler Murray in the same sentence unless we're talking about his favorite team or a player that he was teammates with winning a World Series. But the fact that we keep asking him about it is mind-boggling to me. It's more outside the state of Arizona. For true.
1: and 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 he was a first round pick. I think he was the only guy that's been drafted in the first round in, in a multi sports. I mean, I think it was a little bit different with Bo Jackson, maybe Deion Sanders, just draft status where they were drafted. Um and, and kind, kind of reiterate that this he loves football. And and when you start looking at the uh, the next couple of years, I mean, if he is the franchise quarterback that they think and we see a five, win team to get to eight wins and double digits. Well, he's going to be, uh, you know, command 35, 40 million a year. And I don't think baseball's playing that. And he'd be the first to tell you, you got to start in the farm system. I don't care if you're a first round pick or not. So I don't think the money's going to be as great. I know that if he started off in baseball and you see some of these con- if he was a five tool player and everything else where, you know, there wasn't any holes in his game, then he could command that, but usually you don't see that coming out of the gate he had to repay the signing bonus back because he he obviously was the first pick in the draft. So
0: just from a financial standpoint, doesn't make sense. Anything else when you listened to that interview late last week that stood out as far as what Kime had to say about the Cardinals either looking back or looking forward?
1: I think uh, the, between Michael and then Steve on back-to-back days, um, I want to say that you know they know that the salary cap is going down. Um, I think teams are hoping it maybe gets to 185. It was 175 and now it's 180. I think we're going to find out on March 1st from the NFL and the NFL PA what the actual number is, but they were consistent about having conversations with potential free agents on the roster. And some of these guys are going to have to realize there's not a lot of money to divvy out. Now that they all feel like they're worthy of what their um, you know market is, but you know, they didn't shut the door on Patrick Peterson. Clearly, you know, Larry's still up in the air. Does he want to play? What's, what's the salary going to be there? But they reiterated that, you know, if these guys really want to be Cardinals, and again, um, you know, if you're Hassan Reddick, go test free agency Find out the, what you're worth. If you're Marcus Golden, I think he's maintaining wants to be here. Um, you know, Patrick's got to figure out, is this defense uh, suit him as a man-to-man or is it it's own? So I, I was encouraged that they've had conversations, but I think they're, the message was – we can't pay you as much as you think you're worth, and if you want to come in and take a one-year deal, and I'm just speculating here, and then we can, because the cap could go up to 210 million the following year with the new TV contracts coming in. But um, you know, that's a carrot at the end, and, and Patrick's, you know, going to be 32, 33 in the next couple of years. So, but I like the fact that they've made it known that if you want to be here, we're going to have to work with each other versus you trying to. You know, and again, I don't begrudge any guy, especially guys that are free agents for the first time. Go find out what you're worth. And sometimes you're going to find out that maybe the grass isn't greener, but I don't begrudge anybody for the first
0: time you become a free agent. Cardinals have 28 unrestricted free agents. And as we talk here on this Monday edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, not a single one of those players has re-signed with the team as we get closer and closer to that new league year. Bird Gang, if you haven't already, update to the latest version of the Cardinals mobile app today. The update features an all-new redesigned home screen experience. Visit azcardinals.com slash app for more. So our main topic here on this show as we continue our position-by-position look ahead of the new league year, wanted to focus on the line of scrimmage, and specifically the defensive line. And it does kind of provide a nice segue because one of the things that Kime was asked about late last week was J.J. Watt. Now, because Watt is available right now, he's been released. He's a free agent. Those are players that can be discussed about and have discussions with. And without confirming, it was interesting to hear Kime say, quote, if there's an opportunity that makes sense from the football side and the business side, we'll certainly take a swing, end quote. And that was specific about Watt without saying J.J. Watt's name, but that is a position, MJ, as far as defensive line. Now, I know Watt played a three-down lineman on a 4-3 defense, and the Cardinals are a 3-4, but when you look at defensive line, we'll get to Watt and the other free agents on the table. But the Cardinals and what they have for certain coming back, it is a young group. You've got Jordan Phillips as the veteran, but then Zach Allen, Leckie Fotu, and Rashard Lawrence, three draft picks over the last couple of years. They all do something a little bit different. They have all have flashed. And I think what we all are very excited about is what we saw out of Zach Allen last season. One, he was healthy. Played in 13 games, started seven of those games, but he had a big moment in week 15 against the Eagles that I think if you can get some of that on a more consistent basis, the Cardinals will be very happy that they selected Allen when they did. But against the Eagles in that game, Bird Gang, remember, he had 11 tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a quarterback hit, and a pass defense. First Cardinals defensive lineman to record at least 11 tackles in a game since Calais Campbell in 2015. And we're talking about a defensive lineman. Sometimes he does line up more on the edge as far as a defensive end. But those numbers, you're not going to get them every single week, MJ. But Zach Allen, I do think, took that next step from his first year in which he was hurt to his second year to where he was able to maintain his health.
1: Yeah, because there was a, a time last year where I thought, you know, Zach Allen's going to be able to stay healthy. And there were times that he was on the field and he went in the locker room and he came back out. So you didn't know the severity of it. But, you know, I like his physicality. Um, you know, he's 6'5", 285. I think you can plug him in at left defensive end opposite of Jordan Phillips and then try to figure out what you want to do with, at nose tackle with the rotation. We'll get into some of the Cardinals free agents, but you know, Zach Allen's a guy that uh, high motor. Uh, I know they were excited about him. when he had over 100 tackles in college. Uh, maybe didn't go against the, the greatest competition week out, week in, and week out. But I, I think you're starting to see the upside with the development of him under Brinson Buckner. And uh, to me, he, he's he's a plug-and-play guy. And we talk about years one, two, and three. And you know, clearly he's got to get he's still getting stronger, but. I think I think the game slowed down for him now, and he can win on some one-on-one matchups. So I'm good with that one. Um, let's go back to Jordan Phillips. You know, he he signed up, you know, a three-year, thirty million dollar deal. He got eighteen five in guarantees, which fourteen five became fully guaranteed at signing. Um, he's got another roster bonus coming up on the fifth day of the new league year, so he's not going anywhere. His cap number last year was four million. They spread the money out. Uh, the next couple of seasons, that goes to twelve million, so that's about six point five of the cap. Um, I think we we're expecting more from him. Obviously, he dealt with the injuries, um, but they're going to need a you know, sixteen games out of Jordan Phillips, and he's got the uh, the body type, and clearly he's got the skill set. Now it's a matter of, you know, him being a um, you know the fixture at right defensive end. Um, where they can do a little bit more things with their outside linebackers. And if those guys are occupying a line of scrimmage, that's where the inside linebackers like Hicks and Simmons can shoot the gap. So that's where it all starts, but they need more production from him. Um, You know, he's a guy that really had one good year in Buffalo and he talked about it uh, where you got to do it again. And uh, I think the Cardinals have higher expectations of what he performed uh, in his first year with the Redbirds. And again, um, You know, he's got to
0: stay healthy, but he's got to be on the field to help this football team. Disappointing. And I think he would agree with that as well because of what you said, not being able to stay healthy and be on the field. He started the season's first eight games, then he hurt his hamstring, returned at the Giants in week 14, and was re injured early in that contest, and then ended the season on injured reserve. But considering he was the big ticket item a year ago in free agency, the Cardinals need to get more out of him, and he doesn't need to match what he did for that one year with the Buffalo Bills. But one, be on the field, occupy space, and be effective as far as him and Zach Allen being the bookends as far as the defensive line is concerned, to where you're setting the edge or getting some push up front. And the Cardinals, I think, again, it's all about staying healthy. But if Jordan Phillips is able to stay healthy, if Zach Allen is able to stay healthy, then i think the cardinals have two solid pieces then you throw in the two young pups foe two and lawrence each flashed in their time but they dealt with injuries as well both an ankle injury lawrence a calf injury and when you're dealing with big bodies you have that is always a concern is whether those guys can consistently be available to you on sundays
1: well, 6'5", 335. I mean, as you pointed out, he played 11 games, missed three games with an ankle injury. So that's a lot of weight on the ankle. You know, Rashad Lawrence, I think they think he can do a couple of different things, whether it's playing inside or outside. He's 6'2", 308. So he's a little bit lighter, but you know, we're going to get into Corey Peters here because he's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, he his ACL last year. Uh, so you wonder what the time frame there, but you know, I do think they want to create more rotation for Two and Lawrence. And to me, you still need when you're playing a three, four, you probably need seven guys. And that's why we got a chance to see Pekko last year, Josh Morrow and Angelo Blackson along with Corey Peters until he got hurt. So, you know, on paper, I would say they got four guys and then you got some free agents. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they try to address the interior because um, I think they like their edge guys. you got to get some more depth in there, and maybe it's a veteran guy that can come in here and start, and then you have Phaux2 and Lawrence be the rotation. And I think their snap counts will definitely go up based on down and distance.
0: You never like to see a player get hurts, and when you have two big-time injuries to Phillips and Peters, I think the Cardinals did a great job as filling as best they could filling those holes with Blackson, Morrow, and Petko. Morrow only played three games before he himself got hurt, but Blackson was a godsend. I mean, he played in all 16 games, two and a half sacks, eight quarterback hits. Here's someone who made an immediate impact week one, week two, and he had just arrived. And then midseason, you add Petko, he played in six games, I don't know the status as far as whether those players want to come back. I know Petko is up there as far as in age and then also in number of years played. But Blackson at 6'4", 319, unrestricted free agent, as is Petko, Morrow, and Corey Peters. But I certainly would reach out to Blackson, one, because I think he deserves it just by the fact that, one, not only was he able to learn the defense, but he was able to be effective. And then, three, and probably more importantly, as I mentioned, he played in every single game, so he was available, and that always means a lot, especially when you're getting into a rotation on the defensive line.
1: Yeah, you're looking at Petco. He's, he's up there in age. I'm sure that he got a little of his juices going, but clearly came in late, um, so that could be a late addition based on depth and uh, veteran presence. Josh Morrow, I don't think he's going to be on the radar. I think they obviously uh, felt that he, he kind of knew the system, but th- I think they want to get better uh, when it comes to depth again um, but Blackson to me you know I don't I mean the fact that he played in all 16 games and, and, and there were times when he made plays and people are like who's that guy um, so I wonder is he comfortable here uh, you know when you get to play 16 games in a season you're a free agent you're hoping to make some money but we know and you're going to hear this a lot that you guys are going to have to take one-year deals and if they were going to make one they may only make 955 now so it's you know, it's gut check time when it comes to somebody's salaries, but uh, I would like to see Blackson and, and I would bring Corey Peters back. Um, he clearly wants to play. He doesn't want to end his career like this. And he's, he's raising his family here like a lot of guys are. And does he want to go somewhere else to play on a one-year deal? Because I think when you look at Corey Peters based on the injury, you know, he's probably not going to get a multi-year deal. And this is not the year where you want to get, I mean, I'm sure he wants a two-year deal just for insurance, but he may not see that second year if that's the case.
0: Complete agreement as far as Corey Peters is concerned. I made the case that he should be re-signed long ago, and I understand there's a reason why a lot of these guys haven't re-signed. But Peters has been nothing but professional on and off the field. And remember, his first season with the Cardinals, he didn't even see the field. He tore his Achilles in training camp, and we're like, okay, well, there's the following season. But he has always been that guy that you could rely on Suffered a torn ACL, and it was really unfortunate. Nothing, anything that anyone could have done to prevent an injury like that. But you brought it up. He was one of the better defensive linemen, even playing more snaps than he probably wanted to or the team budgeted him ahead of the season. But because of injuries and uh, ineffectiveness, he was, for a time, the best defensive lineman the Cardinals had. If he wants to come back, and again, because of family and the fact that he set up roots Here, I think he would be an easy guy to retain as far as, again, not one of those Patrick Peterson, Hassan Reddick, Marcus Golden, but someone that would certainly stabilize and help a young defensive line, especially if this Cardinals team goes out and drafts a defensive lineman. The way I
1: look at it is, you know, you're going to have to see how he's moving around and what's the expectations. It looks like everything's going to be virtual. You know, how much is he able to participate in training camp if he does resign? And then he's going to have to make the roster, you know, so that, and a lot of it would be uh, based on incentives. How many games are you active? You know, you can get 50 to 75,000. So that's one way. If you're healthy, you're going to get paid and you're going to be active on game day. So you know you look at it I, I think what you're saying is when AQ Shipley tore his ACL the Cardinals rewarded him um, after the fact because they know how hard he worked to get back there and he's kind of been a journeyman he's you know a guy that you know you know just didn't have the measurables but we know he, he was kind of the glue um, when Kyler Murray's first year and I thought I thought they definitely missed him last year and I know that they were trying to get younger and more athletic but I didn't see the uh, upside that I was hoping for out of Mason Cole.
0: Yeah. Sometimes getting younger, more athletic, you lose that veteran experience that can be maybe even more advantageous because you know, the tricks of the trade, you know, how to win, you know how to win your one-on-one battles yet when you're younger and more athletic, if you will, sometimes you, you lose those little moments and just think that you can overpower someone when in the National Football League, it's not always the biggest, the strongest that wins. It's the smartest that wins.
1: Another thing you pointed out, and, you know, the Cardinals at times, uh, they were able to get pressure on the quarterback without Chandler Jones. I mean, he played five games. He had a sack. Um, we know that Reddick and Golden and Dennis Gardeck did a really good job, and there was others. But at the same time, though, the Cardinals, as you pointed out, ranked 22nd in rushing yards uh, allowed per game. That's And then 25th, 4.6. But when they got down to the red zone, now we can look at the passing touchdowns. But they allowed the four fewest
0: touchdowns, 13. That's encouraging. But those those games late in the year, though. Uh, And that was when you did not have a Corey Peters and you did not have a Jordan Phillips and the two games against the Seahawks and in the game at home against the 49ers, that certainly I, I still am mind boggling about what happened there, but you allowed the 49ers to rush for a season high, 227 yards. They averaged almost eight yards a carry and that can't happen. And if you have a strong defensive line, first and foremost, it's stopping the run And setting that line of scrimmage, you're not going to see a lot of tackles. You're not going to see a lot of pressures. But those three, those four guys, however many you have in a three-point stance, they have to be able to at least, if not stop, slow down the ball carrier so your linebackers can get to them next. You don't want a running back to get to the third level. And too many times in the second half of the season, you saw a lot of running backs get to that second and third level. Going back to that
1: game, the Jeff Wilson play, and then he had a guy like C.J. Beathard who was basically scrambling out of the pocket. And, you know, if, if they could have won that game in the trenches, you know, that then possibly, even though by losing that game, they still had to beat the Rams in week 17. I don't think a lot of people figured that. They thought, uh, you know, uh, they don't control their own destiny, but they did in week 17 against the Rams. Uh, and obviously with the Bears, um, what they had to do. But, yeah, if, if they would have kind of been able to control the line of scrimmage there that maybe you're talking about a different outcome. Oh, we know that they are playing hard for CJ Beathard who had lost his brother, but uh, that, that, that those two 16 and 17 weeks uh, they're mind boggling to me.
0: Two other players worth mentioning that the Cardinals will have on the roster when the new league year begins signed to future contracts, Michael Dogby and David Perry Dogby, the former Seventh-round pick in 2019, only played a handful of games this past season. But Perry is an interesting one to me. I actually had to do some background research because I'm not too familiar with him. But 6'2", 3'17", so he's got some size. Former fifth-round draft pick of the Colts in 2015. He has game experience, but he has not played since 2018. And if he still wants to play, if he still has something this is a certainly a, a signing, if you will, that the Cardinals look at and say, let's take a flyer on this guy. It doesn't hurt to see what he has. If he has something, great. If he doesn't, well, then you're certainly not going to make the team and we'll go our separate ways. But anytime you see some of these quote-unquote veterans signing future contracts, there has to be a reason. Yeah, everyone likes to get paid, but there, I would think and I would hope that there is a passion for the game and a willingness to get back on the field and I think perhaps with David Perry, and there's a couple of other guys at different positions as well that to keep an eye on, not to say that they are the missing piece, but perhaps if you're talking about a rotation, catch lightning in the bottle, like they did with Angelo Blackson, perhaps David Perry might be one of those players.
1: Hopefully he's got fresh legs.
0: Yes. <laughs> you would hope.
1: <laughs> I mean, teams can expand their rosters to 90, um, you know, again, yeah. if we, if they're going to have like at OTAs, you can kind of weed out, um, you know, just and I know everything's in helmets and shells, but if it's virtual, it's going to be hard to figure that part out. Um, you know, more mental. he does step on the field, but why not take a flyer? I mean, listen, at this, at this point in time, you're just trying to flood a position. I mean, who knows if the guys even get invited to camp. So plenty of time between now and then. And the beauty is you can bring 90 guys in and take flyers on the majority of those guys. We know, you know, draft picks are valued um, to a certain extent, depending on where you were drafted, what year we know undrafted free agents have made the roster. And then when it comes to, you know, um, free agency and trades uh, that's other options. So there's no, this is the time you do that kind of stuff because during the season, you bring in, you know, guys for, for tryouts. And you look at a position, maybe you're trying to shore up, but now, Um, The more the merrier, and hopefully he gets a chance, and it's all you can ask for is an opportunity.
0: So those are the 10 players that Cardinal fans are familiar with or should be familiar with as we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, looking at perhaps some new faces, whether it's free agency or the draft. Let's start in order. Free agency starts first, and we brought up J.J. Watt because he is available Cardinals certainly can contact him or even sign him right now. Another name that's out there and available is Kyle Pecko, 27-year-old, former Denver Bronco. And, well, does Vance Joseph know something about Pecco that perhaps, and that was a name that was bantied about uh, a year ago, that perhaps maybe the Cardinals might be able to invest in. But you look at the bigger name free agents, the Giants have two, MJ, and I think they might be a little bit out of the price range for the Cardinals, even if they do hit free agency. But Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson, two young players that probably didn't have a great season team-wise with the Giants, but still very well thought of amongst the uh, scouts and coaches in the National Football League. You know, last year, then the trade deadline, you know, there was a lot of talk about Leonard
1: Williams and you're going to have to pick up his remaining contract. I do think one of those guys could get tagged if they don't get a long-term deal, but I do like the ages, 26 for both Tomlinson and Williams. You like their size, 6'5", 6'3", and 3'18". So, um, again, those guys aren't growing on trees and I, I do anticipate one could be franchised and then you got to make a decision. Um, but those those are the guys you want. Those are the guys you want in the trenches And, you know, when I look at J.J. Watt, 31, uh, clearly when he's healthy, he's very productive. Um, It'd be fascinating to see him on the opposite side of Chandler Jones, regardless if you lose a guy like Hassan Reddick or Marcus Golden. You know, what's J.J. looking for? I mean, you know, sounds like Buffalo's in the mix. Um, You know, Green Bay's made some... um, some roster moves when it comes to, uh, you know, the salary cap, but they they have their own free agents. Uh, Lindsey's a center. Aaron Rodgers wants him back. Aaron Jones is a running back. Are they willing to pay him? Because I'm sure teams like the Dolphins may have interest in a guy like Aaron Jones plug and play there with the quarterback, depending on what happens there. So, you know, Shelby Harris is really intriguing to me, 29 years old, 6'2", 290. I think he, he, he fits the profile exactly what the Cardinals are looking for. And all of a sudden you would have competition concerning if he is a free agent and then your rotation gets even better. Um, but he's a guy that can get to the quarterback. So, um, you know, J.J. Watt, to me, if it's a one- or two-year deal, he um, just got to hope he can stay healthy. But clearly um, he knows he's going to have to play 16 games. And easier said than done when you – you know. But when, when healthy is very productive. I don't know if it's too steep because – you know, Steve is—you know—he's had the ability, salary cap-wise, they can afford it. It's just, what does that do to your other positions? Do you have to go, you know, a, um, a little bit shorter on deals to Patrick Peterson? If that's the case, I know there's positional spending, and you got Chandler Jones, whose cap number is going to be 20 million, um, but after that, you know, you got Reddick and and Gardick. Uh, He's a restricted free agent. He probably won't come back till mid uh, late in the year next year. So, it's not out of the realm. But you wonder
0: what Watt's looking for. Is he looking for a contender? It doesn't hurt to ask. And the Cardinals, I think, with a lot of these players that do get released ahead of the new league year and are on the market right now, you should pick up the phone and figure out their interests. And I know that Cardinal players would love to have J.J. Watt. DeAndre Hopkins went on Instagram and posted a picture of Watt in a Cardinals uniform. That is fine, but it doesn't mean that you're going to sign all of these players. You brought it up, MJ. It's perfect because you have a finite number of dollars that you can spend. And now you have to figure out, all right, we're going to retain our own guys. But then how do we get someone from the outside to come in? And I just think that with respects to Watt, and I don't even know if he would even have any interest, but better dollars could be spent other areas, in order to either help defense or help Kyler Murray and the offense. So I would be, to be honest with you, I'd be stunned if J.J. Watt was an Arizona Cardinal in 2021. Not that I wouldn't be pleasantly surprised or, or welcome him. I just think that the Cardinals can do better as far as helping out the entirety of the defense and the team by going out and maybe getting a couple of different players as opposed to just one if J.J. Watt is looking for that kind of money where it would be one player, a big ticket item.
1: When I look at Shelby Harris, I rather, I prefer to pay him Six two two ninety twenty nine 90, 29 years old. Uh, I don't know what he's going to command. You know, he's at that free agent thing where he probably wants to cash in. I mean, I get it. I mean, Buffalo has interest. The Packers supposedly may have interest. Um, His wife is a soccer player. She lives in Chicago. Does he want to go to Pittsburgh and play with his brothers? Cleveland put him opposite of Miles Garrett. That makes a lot of sense. You know, Cleveland is a playoff team and you know a great city. Uh, Does he want to go against his brothers twice a year? Um, You you hate to say it, but are the Chargers or Rams going to be interested? Because now there's a high tax rate when you go play in California. So, and, and the Niners, to me, they have enough pass rushers, but. You know, you just wonder what he's waiting for. And I'm sure it's about, you know, how many years on the contract and how much is guaranteed because if he gets hurt again, he, he's going to rely on that guaranteed money. Now, granted, he's made over $100 million in his career, but it's about what he's going to do to finish his career. So I, I agree with you. I think it's a long shot. But, you know, for, for our listeners out there, you know, we get it all the time and I don't respond all the time because I'm not making the decision. But when a quality player gets released and teams have – calculated cap casualties. So when you see a guy get released, teams aren't surprised. They they, they look at the cap and they say this guy could be available. So they, they put him in there in, in, in a different box and then when he becomes available. But if anybody has, has credentials in the league, all 31 other teams besides the team that released him, they're going to put a grade on him. And they're going to talk about what's – and then you'll go to analytics, how much is he worth. So um, every player that gets released, again, that has – some credentials, not just a guy that's been on a practice squad. Those are future contracts. But every team, if they're doing their due diligence, just like the Cardinals, they put a free agent grade on them. They put an analytic salary on them and say, how does this fit? And if it doesn't work, then you move on to the next guy. But keep in mind, every team is putting a grade on J.J. Watt. I don't care if they got four outside linebackers and two defensive ends in a contract. They're putting a grade on him because all of a sudden – What's his upside, and and do they have somebody younger that's more valuable or they think can stay healthy? So there's a lot of factors, but every team should do their homework when a guy
0: with credentials gets released. I do think defensive line is a position that the Cardinals will look to add in free agency, whether that's early, middle, or late, I don't know. But speaking of late, as far as later than free agency, the draft – And there are a couple of players that I'm sure the Cardinals have their eye on. And no one that's been projected to the Arizona Cardinals, although one player in particular as far as – and I was just looking at defensive tackles when I was looking at some of these draft prospects. Not a defensive end that's going to rush, but more clog up the middle and kind of get some pressure. And again, to use those numbers against uh, the run to kind of bring those numbers down a little bit as far as rushing yards per game and rushing yards per play. Number one on the list, and someone that I know Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL network and NFL.com has been high on is Levi Onzeriki. Unzurique, if I pronounce that correctly, out of Washington, opted out of this past season, but he does have a connection. In fact, he's got a couple. One, he went to Washington, and we know the Cardinals love to see players coming out of Washington, Buda Baker in particular but he played a high school football with Kyler Murray. So if you're looking for connections or you're looking for Intel, the Cardinals can go to their own players and ask their opinion. That's all they're asking for their opinion, not a definitive yes or no. I don't think players should have that kind of say. So in the organization, when you're putting together a team, but much like Patrick Peterson did with Tyron Matthew, they can help the organization make those decisions. So Onzerike out of Washington, 6'3", 293 might be the tops amongst the available defensive tackles, even at potentially number 16.
1: He has great size, 6'3", 293, and, you know, we know the Pac-12 uh, football this year was hit and miss just based on games getting canceled. So he decided to opt out, but uh, he looks the part. And, you know, you're right, Byron Murphy, Buda Baker, um, even when – um Chris P was the coach there. Coach Chris Peterson. Now Jimmy Lake, who's a secondary coach, is the head coach. So uh, again, they they recruit guys. They think they can play at the next level. And I think he checks that box. You know, I don't know which round, but I, I think well, on paper, Craig, when you look at Jordan Phillips and Zach Allen, and, and one thing I want to point out when you were talking about futures contract and Michael Dogby, he was protected 14 times. So the Cardinals feel like no, maybe he could be. But I think there – I wouldn't say you're never set because, we know, injuries occur and, you know, COVID obviously kept some guys out. But I think that, I, I think on paper you can add another, you know, maybe a Shelby Harrison, not just throwing it out there. I think he'd be a good pickup. But that interior D-line has to get better and you just can't rely on a 33-year-old Corey Peters or Al uh, uh, Blackson I do like the the, the young um, defensive tackles, but you need somebody to come in there and create competition. So, yeah, I mean, you, you just don't know, you know, where there's going to be a run on a certain player, etc. You know, when we look at the draft, how many quarterbacks are off the board, you know, how many linemen are off the board, because that means players are going to get pushed down to number 16 with the Cardinals. They're going to have some good options
0: couple of other names, Davion Nixon out of Iowa, unanimous All-American, Big Ten defensive player and lineman of the year. And then Christian Barmore from Alabama, defensive MVP of the national championship game. Again, draft prospects, whether that's at 16 or you move down to acquire more picks, but the Cardinals, I certainly could see them looking to go even younger at defensive line to add to a foe to Lawrence and Zach Allen to pair with a Jordan Phillips. Cause right now the only veteran in the room is Jordan Phillips, but it's hard to be a veteran when you're not on the field, as far as the leadership, the guidance that someone of a veteran can give to these young players. That's why I think the Cardinals do in free agency, look to someone with experience or look to Corey Peters to bring back, to provide some of that expertise. You
1: know, looking at some of the guys you wrote down, and, and, you know, we know you could find, you know, small school guys. And it just seems like when you start mentioning Washington, those guys are ready to play. Um, You look at Iowa, they really get a lot of linemen, whether it's D-line or offensive linemen. They're well-coached. And then you look at Alabama, uh, you know, Belichick's got a, you know, a tree there when it comes to Rutgers. and, And obviously when Urban Meyer was at Florida, so they value those. And then you got UCLA and then USC. And so, the, you know, I'm not saying you got to go for a, a big school guy. Uh, you know, we know the Cardinals found Zach Allen and, you know, some others that, that, that maybe didn't play in the big games and the big conferences. But, you know, I like the fact that some of those schools, it, it's not like you're reaching when you draft from those schools because they're not going to hit on everyone. But odds are because how they're coached, their strength and conditioning programs – they're, they're more adapt to make the NFL transition than waiting for a couple of
0: years. So we'll see what the Cardinals decide to do with respect to the defensive line. And just a, a quick note on one of the names that we keep bringing up as far as a potential free agent target, Shelby Harris, former Denver Bronco. Yes, once again, the connection with Hans Joseph here as we look for connections doesn't mean anything, but certainly someone that would be familiar with the Harris. And as we talked about, Kyle Petko as well. MJ, before we sign off here on this edition of Cardinals Covered 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, it is worth mentioning some breaking news earlier in the day. Former Arizona Cardinal Mike Upati announced his retirement. 11 seasons in the league, the past two with the Seahawks, but four years with the Cardinals from 2015 to 2018, a Pro Bowl player his first season, someone that the Cardinals really went after in free agency because they wanted some physicality, some toughness on that offensive line. And he was very good for his first couple of seasons before injuries robbed him, I think, of his talent and his ability. But someone that uh, didn't talk a lot, but was very good to talk to as long as there wasn't a microphone or a notepad in front of his face. But uh, someone that was uh, very professional, very polite, and I think did a lot for that offensive line room when he spent during those four years with the Cardinals. You look at you, potty,
1: he went to Idaho, first-round pick in 2010, 17th overall. You know, he played really well those first three years in, in Maybe in four years in San Francisco. I mean, he was he went to three straight Pro Bowls. He signed with the Cardinals in '15. Um, dealt with some injuries. Tough guy. Uh, I remember he was laying on on the field in Seattle. Like really scary there. And he ended up playing in Seattle. And I had a conversation with Yupati when he was a free agent, and he said the Jets were were willing to throw him a lot of money. And he said, me, you know, being from Anaheim, California, and going to Idaho, I'm a West Coast guy. So he chose the Cardinals over the Jets and the Jets signed James Carpenter that year. So it made total sense, but what a tough guy. I mean, uh, you know, we can talk about it now, but he told you and I, after the season, he played on a broken foot and and you potty, you wish you had, you know, just the toughness and didn't take plays off and just had this mentality. Yes. He may, he may have been quiet, but when he got on the football field, I mean, he, he, he played, He played the echo of the whistle. He didn't back down from anybody. So, um, you know, first team all pro in 2012, second team all pro in 015. Um, But he uh, he definitely, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Craig, is he the last Cardinal offensive lineman to make the Pro Bowl?
0: He is. That's what we were talking about. D.J. Humphreys perhaps ending that drought. So you go look back and it was Mikey Potty, the last Arizona Cardinal offensive lineman. So hopefully that drought ends in 2021. Yeah, and I
1: know Valdeer had some good years. I don't know if he was an alternate and stuff like that. This year we didn't have alternates, so it's hard to gauge. And I know Lomas Brown made it. And I want to say Pete Kendall was in the running. So, that, again, they'll never get the credit until they start getting a pro bowler. And I think Humphreys is definitely worthy of it. I think the numbers reflect it. I think Justin Pugh, besides the penalties, played one of his best years of football. And that's why the Cardinals are intrigued
0: uh, with that left side with Humphreys and Pugh. So a tip of the cap to Mike Upati calling it a career after 11 seasons, a good guy, not only off the field, but a, a very, very good player on the field, basically played for the entire division of the NFC minus the Los Angeles Rams. Four seasons he spent with the Arizona Cardinals. And on that note, that will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. Bird Gang, we'll catch you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.